0: Good evening and welcome to Night Colors Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we are going to be chatting with Mary Joyce, who is a researcher and author of The Unknown. Uh, But before we get started, I did want to let you guys know that I am broadcasting through a new system. uh, So you guys just bear with me tonight. We're going to all figure it out together. Hopefully it will give you guys better quality than my past system that was just not working out. Um, but before we get into this interview, I would like to ask that you show some love for the hardworking night callers team by hitting that thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and ring that notification bell. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and bring on Mary Joyce. How are you doing tonight, Mary?
1: Fine. Good luck with this new system. It looks really good from here.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm definitely hoping to get some Better audio quality, better, you know, less stream laps, all that stuff that just ruins a good interview because we want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> okay, so you are quite the accomplished lady. Um, your your bio is is very impressive, and I know that you know you probably didn't plan to do half of that in your life, but um, it's really amazing.
1: If you get old enough, you collect a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of experiences.
0: Well, it's uh, it, I mean, I really everything in there is just it's very versatile. You went from over here to, I mean, you jump planets to over there to all the things that you've been involved with. It's amazing. Uh,
1: yeah, I moved into a really interesting part of North Carolina. We have Bigfoot and little people and underground bases and UFOs and a whole lot more. So, uh, uh it's kept my attention really well.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. Um, so, I mean, so there's there's so much that you cover, and if you guys will check out her website, the link is in the description below. If you'll check out her website, um, she she's she covers a lot of different topics. So, you've covered um, your authored works, and then your website. You've done a lot of research on various things, um, ancient civilizations, UFOs, um, Bigfoot, little people. I mean, you just really ran the gambit there. But how did you get started with Bigfoot?
1: Uh, the website actually started with UFOs. And then we began to see that there was a lot of UFO, I mean, Bigfoot sightings in the same area. And this, I would have made a different name for this website that I have, which is skyshipsovercashers.com. Uh, but I didn't know it was going to grow into so many different directions. So um, I, 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 it's too late to change it, but we do a lot more things than just UFOs.
0: Definitely. Um, just judging by your authored works, much less all the, if, so if you go visit her website, um, she has archived articles. And I mean, just tons of articles in there that are really fascinating. And she does her due diligence. She researches this stuff. And it's it's really good reading material. You guys have to, you have to go check it out.
1: And one thing I want to emphasize in my books and also on the website, I use lots of photos. So you don't get Mm -hmm. bought down in just gray matter or lots of words. And uh, we live in a very fast moving uh, world and people get bored easily. And if you don't have the visuals to go with it, you lose.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's absolutely true. People have short attention spans. (laughs) I'm one of them. Yes, that's true. Um, So your book, um, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. It focuses really on the interactions of people with Bigfoot and also the humanization of Bigfoot.
1: Yes, there's been so many books out, or so many TV shows out, or so many movies that uh, really paint Bigfoot as a monster, something to be afraid of, something to capture, something to shoot and kill, and, you know, put a trophy on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I learned from people who've had firsthand experiences, there's a real nice human side to the Bigfoot. And that is what I focused on in the book. And it's refreshingly different than all the spooky stuff.
0: <laughs> I know that I did listen to another interview that you did. And um, and you said that, you know, you said there's researchers and, and you weren't knocking the researchers at all. You were just saying that it's, it's emphasized that, you know, they're casting tracks and they're hooping and hollering in the woods and they're banging on trees and, Um, there's a more, you know, it was mentioned in the interview that if you go to a remote island and you find an indigenous tribe there, um, you don't shoot a tribe member to study it and see what they do in their culture. You study the tribe member without harming them. And so that was brought up in that interview. And I just thought that was really interesting because you don't think about it like that. Um, you know, they're, uh, you know, the the argument is some think that they're just an animal, some think that they are more sentient beings, um, you know, an almost extinct race of human or, you know, a different species, stuff like that. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh,
1: I was very convinced by the research of Melba Ketchum, Dr. Melba Ketchum, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with it. And she took a lot of heat in the beginning because of uh, her DNA uh, conclusions regarding Bigfoot. And she said that the maternal side or the mo- mama side
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: was human and the daddy side was uh, some unknown primate. And she was really lambasted by the scientific community. But since then, there's been, oh, at least a half dozen that I know of um, legitimate doctors and scientists who have concluded that her conclusion was correct. So I refer to the Bigfoot as our distant cousin.
0: Right. Um, I believe that they're a sentient being, um, or how else would they know to stay away from us, right?
1: Right. right. Um, that shows great intelligence.
0: That's what I always tell people. They, you know, um, I argue that they know that trail cams are there. I always argue that they know when technology is being used, and they, you know, there's so many that are just like, well, they're just animals. They have no idea. And I'm like, how would they be elusive for this long if they weren't really intelligent?
1: Right. And they can really read people. They can Mm -hmm. run quite a distance even. And so they're not going to get easily trapped by people who are chasing after them.
0: I agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, I've done interviews before where we talk about whether to carry a gun in the woods or not, or um, people who have activity while carrying. Um, Your body language changes when you're carrying a gun. Um, You're more confident. You know, you walk into the woods knowing that you can take out anything that comes at you, whereas if you walk in without, you're more I will not want to say timid, but you're a little bit more wary of your surroundings and, you know.
1: Anyhow, let me jump into cuteness. Is that
0: okay? Yeah, go for it.
1: <laughs> There's a, a great gal who you might want to interview sometime and maybe mm-hmm. you have. Um, her name is uh, Robin McRae and she has had Bigfoot on her land since she was a child. So she's mm-hmm. really grown up with them. And she is so good at interacting with them that she was invited to Siberia, Uh, by the uh, international uh, hominology uh, center um, just because she's that good. Mm -hmm. But she tells one really cute story, which I include in the book. And she had a pony. And no matter what she did, this pony always disappeared at night when she would put him in in the pasture. She would tie him up with a long boat rope. that was 250 feet long. It would be untied. The pony would be gone in the morning. And... Um his the uh, uh water bucket and the food bucket would be dragged into the woods. And uh, the first time she went in there, she found that there were little muddy handprints on the pony and little muddy butt prints. And the bigfoot were taking their kids on pony rides. Oh, and I if that doesn't sound delightfully human in a nice way, um, yeah, I can't think of anything that would be cuter than that.
0: Oh, that is adorable. And I mean, if you think about it, you know, um, Bigfoot, the species has been around for a long time. So they've been around since, you know, people rode horses as transportation or Native Americans use them as transportation. So um, and watching them ride bareback and everything like that. So that makes sense.
1: Um, I've never talked about this on a radio show because my book is devoted to um, contemporary stories or experiences regarding Bigfoot but i do have one historical story which i think is really great it's from the civil war Um, a researcher got this uh, letter or it's like a diary that was written by this soldier and i've uh, put it in the book the part where he talks about where he nearly died and the paper is authentic the ink is authentic the type of writing from that time period is authentic so i have every reason to believe that it is absolutely a real story well, this man was severely wounded in a battle, uh, injured both legs and his arm. Everybody around him had died, and he was sure he was going to die. And when he opened his eyes, he saw two legs that he said were as big as tree trunks. And he, in this is a short version of this, the long version's really quite neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Bigfoot took him to a cave, and a clan of Bigfoot brought him back to good health and set him back on his feet again. And they knew things that you might not expect, like he couldn't get, he wasn't mobile. So back in his corner of the cave, it was getting really smelly. And one day the uh, female brought in powder and spread it all over the area that wasn't smelling so great Mm -hmm. and it was lime. And to this day, people use lime to get rid of of bad smells. So that shows a type of intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, she also chewed, uh, I assume it would be herbs and packed his wounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They just did a whole lot of things. They helped him get up and learn to walk again. Um, the story's really quite enchanting. So these stories go back, um, at least to the civil war mm-hmm. and, uh, they called them, uh, forest people because the word Bigfoot and Sasquatch, um, those are really recent terms
0: right um especially in the all over you know those started elsewhere um not in the south um i think i've heard an account like that before and um so i know you verified the letter and the account so that's that's amazing um that you did your due diligence on that
1: you probably did what i did i heard this reading of this old letter on probably youtube and took a great deal of tracking to, to find out who owned the channel and where yes. did that information come from? And I had to do all that before I put it in the book.
0: Right. No, I think that's amazing. You did your due diligence. Um, I believe that was on Dixie Cryptid. That's um, true. and yep. and I he give credit. You're right. Yeah, he does a lot of great tales. Some of his um, and he tells this. He says this blatantly that some of his he does embellish or um, you know, are fictional. But he does do some that are real as well. And that's one of the ones that um, it, that letter had been given to him and it was, that one was legit. So, So,
1: yeah. It's a good story.
0: Oh, it's a very good story. That was one of my favorites. Um, it was very fascinating. Uh, they saved his life and when they eventually let him go and showed him the path back to civilization, um, they said he had been missing for, I think, months or weeks or months or something like that.
1: He was out at least several weeks. Man. (sighs) That's just. In a more recent story, we here in North Carolina, we had a little boy exactly um, two years ago who was lost for um, yes. three nights and two days. Is Casey, uh, Casey Hathaway, and he uh, talked about um, having the company of a bear while he was missing. And you know, it's cold even in in North Carolina in the Low Country in January. And um, I did research on this too, and I found out that there had been Bigfoot sightings in the surrounding counties all around that area where he was lost, that gave confirmation. Um, I got information from a bear researcher out, I think in the University of Montana, who Mm -hmm. said a bear would never ever have acted that way, would never have, you know, plus it's hibernation season. And if they Mm -hmm. did come out of hibernation, they would have been pretty groggy. So it was probably the best word the little boy knew. We're all pretty convinced it was a Bigfoot. But again, oh, yeah. it's a Bigfoot doing something kind for people,
0: right? Right. And so, I just want to let everyone know. Um, you know, last week we had Kathy Strain on, and, and she's a very intelligent woman, very um, anthropological. You know, that's her mindset. And Mary is also very intelligent, but she's the opposite end of the spectrum. So whereas um, Kathy was more of a, a physical, flesh and blood, scientific aspect. Um, Mary has done her research and gathered her encounters um, and her book focuses, like I said, it focuses on the interactions of people with Bigfoot and the humanization of Bigfoot. So um, I really wanted to have Mary on so that we could talk about um, the, not necessarily the non-scientific side of Bigfoot, but just the other side that isn't as widely expressed. Um, I wanted you to educate us on All of the things that I feel like people need to know. So people that are just getting into Bigfoot, you get like the super scientific side and then you have the more human side of Bigfoot that they have um, gifts or they have um, protective instincts or, you know, that they have a symbiotic relationship with humans, stuff like that. So I wanted to kind of get the other side and your book represents all of that in a great you know, a good way. It, it, she tells about. It's
1: a storytelling way.
0: It's a storytelling way, but it's, um, I, when I listened to that other interview that you did, you know, you talked about you hit on all the things that people don't think that big uh, are attributed to Bigfoot. You hit on, you know, gifting, um, you hit on them being protective, um, the Native Americans working in, you know, they respect the Bigfoot and they work in tandem with the Bigfoot and you hit on all of that. And so I'd just kind of like for you to cover, um, what you think about Bigfoot and their relationship with us.
1: They're very uh, intuitive. They can read us from a distance. And that's why these people that uh, have the TV shows that go tracking them with the camera equipment, they're not even going to get close to them because they know they're coming long before the people think that they would know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they know how to stay out of our way. Um, but the people, the humans that are um, gentle, who live closer to the earth, are the ones that are having these wonderful experiences. We had a, one of the stories I talk about is um, a sheriff or a it wasn't sheriff, but he was we call it a deputy sheriff from Florida. Mm-hmm. And he had to retire early because he had cancer. So he moved here to a remote part of the mountains. He started doing organic farming. And um, the first time he realized something strange was going on was he heard the rapping of the, the limb against the tree, which is you know very commonly known. And he lived in a house with a porch that was high above a creek. And one day he was out on his porch and he heard sounds of children playing in the creek. And he thought, that can't be right. There are no kids around here. And he went down there and the plane in the water stopped, but he heard this kind of a, uh, he described it like a growl or some kind of sound that wasn't human. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another day he was out on his porch and at night and he had a light by his um, garage and he saw a Bigfoot family go across the road. And I found it interesting that he said, every time they went across that road, it was always the female first, the male second, and the kids in the rear. And so he lived there with a family of, um, you know, two adults and two adolescents. Um, mm-hmm. What really got neat was the the man, the uh, Bigfoot that he named Fred became friendly. And Fred would go down whenever uh, Peter was doing gardening and they um, communicated and communicated. Um, um, The Bigfoot would take some things from the garden, but they never took too much. And uh, Peter knew that they were doing it. And uh, they they just had a nice rapport. So that's another nice story. And that's from a man who had a business, you know, with guns. Mm -hmm. He totally changed, became organic. He became a nature lover. And so it was like the transformation of the man.
0: Right. Now, that's really interesting. And um you know, there, it's, it's hard because this is, um, frowned upon sometimes in the Bigfoot community, just that thought process. And, um, to me, I think that there are those in the Bigfoot community that are trying to prove that Bigfoot exists. And so they are tasked with being more scientific, um, more, you know, straight and conservative and, um, you know, we can't think about all that other stuff because we are trying to find evidence to prove that they exist. Um, but I, I think that there are so many who are living in a situation or have had an experience like those in your book where they've had good interactions with these creatures and, um, you know, good things have happened. And I think that there's another side to the entire, um, topic that needs to be discussed with an open mind, because, you know, this topic, whenever you say you believe in Bigfoot or you had an experience, you know, there's so many, you can't go to the general public and tell people that you'll be scoffed at. Um, And when you come to the Bigfoot community, usually you're welcomed with open arms, but what about those who have had experiences like those in your book that are not of the normal sighting that are more, you know, weird or off, off the normal encounter stories you know, well, I can, give
1: you a hope, I can give you a hopeful sign. I went to a, a conference that was down in Georgia, and Robin McRae, the one that I told you about with yes. the pony story, she spoke. Now you had all of those people who were into "let's find them and shoot them and hang them and get the you know all the yes. evidence," <laughs> and they were very open to her. So maybe there is at least in some circles a mellowing and a blending of um, mm-hmm. both
0: aspects. Yeah, I mean, um, like I always say, nobody has the corner market on Bigfoot. Nobody knows exactly what they are, what they do, and what they're capable of. Um, So I think just, you know, keeping an open mind will help a lot more people in their research. Um, Because if you go into any scientific investigation, and you think that it is this, and you have that tunnel vision, you could be missing a lot of important things. I'm not saying... Um, jump through portals and try to find them or anything like that. I'm just saying uh, have an open mind and don't shut down so hard when somebody tells you something that isn't in your wheelhouse, you know?
1: Sounds like you've run into a lot more door slammers than I have.
0: (laughs) Um, it's, It's prevalent in the community and I understand it because if you are not extremely scientific based, flesh and blood, you know, data, collection, evidence, you are not a real researcher and you're scoffed at Mm -hmm. and it's it's very frustrating because there are so many that have had alternate experiences they've had um telepathy which you know it's called mind speak which i have a good friend that it drives her absolutely insane that they call it mind speak because it's very redundant it's actually it has a name already it's telepathy there's already a name in the in the human and language I don't for know that why
1: they've done that i really don't but that's true. i know the community that's the word they use
0: Yes. Um, You know, there are those that have experienced that and are completely sane and they just had this weird experience. They've uh, experienced infrasound. They've experienced gifting. And I don't I don't like that we automatically push those people away when they're trying to share an encounter, because we need to study all the facets of this topic in order to learn what this is and what it's capable of. And we can't do that if we're discounting half of the evidence that's coming to us via encounter stories.
1: Right. So it sounds like you're going to be the one that's going to blend it.
0: <laughs> well, I am going to do my best through my show to at least hopefully give some people pause um, to just listen to witnesses um, in the entirety, because if they are brave enough to share that encounter with you, despite the more crazy aspects um just give them the respect of listening you know um
1: maybe maybe this is a good time to tell you a story that starts out really bad and ends up really wonderful
0: yes i Um, love your hopeful stories
1: oh all right so we'll go with this (laughs) this one is um the most involved um story that i have in the book there's lots of photos and it's very involved but i'll try to give you the essence of it Um, This uh, woman lived in a little valley up at the top of the mountain. And so to get there, you take like a mile road that's single lane, follows a creek between two ridges. When you get to the end of the road, it opens up to this small valley with two houses, a barn and a pond. The people that lived on the land um, had lived very happily there. They sometimes felt like something was in the woods, but they were never troubled by it. One day, somebody was out there with a jackhammer uh, trying to repair the dam. So they were damming up the creek to create the pond. The the jackhammer went right through the the bedrock supposedly and all the water went down into this hole. After that, they had nothing but trouble from the Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Uh, In hindsight, we all figured out that they had flooded their cave that they lived in and they were pissed. And they started breaking into the people's um, uh, vehicles. And each time they did something, they would up it. So mm-hmm. first it was the vehicles. And then they started, they broke into the little house. And again, I have pictures of the uh, handprints all over the door and um, interesting things. For example, before the people decided they were going to move out, um, the woman had put in a load of laundry uh, in the dryer. And when they came back, there were Bigfoot hands prints all over the dryer. They were trying to figure out what this whirling thing was. It was intriguing them. Um, From the little house, they then went to the big house. The woman became so afraid she had uh, three children, uh, older children, and she got a bodyguard who carried a gun and she moved off the land, but she would go back and check it every day, always with the bodyguard and the gun. The bodyguard was scared too. to get down to the essence of it, when they finally figured out that they had disturbed the cave where the Bigfoot lived, they actually went down to the the dried up pond and started talking to the air that they didn't mean to do that, that they were so sorry. So the story ends up that there was a piece of burlap that had been shaped kind of like a basket with old shiny things in it put in front of the door and they didn't have problems after that. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't really done a good follow-up on it, but the Bigfoot bodyguard uh now has made peace with the Bigfoot and he communicates with them on his land, which is a couple mountain ridges away. Mm-hmm. So we went from one extreme to the other. But the the little they had the children uh of the Bigfoot in the big house, and they were uh, drawing on the, the wall. I've got pictures of that. Um, they invaded the bathroom, uh, squeezed the toothpaste all over the place, tore the toilet up, and everybody was thrilled that they didn't know what the toilet was for. Um, (laughs) So they did do quite a bit of destruction before peace was made.
0: I always think about that, that if they are part ape, as some people believe, that um, we're very lucky they throw rocks and not poo, (laughs) because a Sasquatch-sized poo might Take you out, Um, and and actually,
1: to the size of it. There's a museum you probably know about it in North Georgia. Oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's near Blue Ridge in uh, North Georgia, and they had uh, Bigfoot poo, and it was about two feet long. And I'm going, that's really, really, really big.
0: I mean, probably most of the things we think are logs are actually not. Um, you know, I had Doug, uh, high check on and he had talked about an experience where one had demolished a home and they went into the bathroom and they broke the sink and the mirror. They pulled the cabinets off the walls. I mean, they demolished this house and, um, on, on the show that I listened to that you were on before you had mentioned that Bigfoot don't attack for no reason they don't throw rocks for no reason. They don't growl or bluff charge for no reason. They're usually trying to get you away from that area. Um, you know, so they're not gonna, I I know there are, there are stories out there of Bigfoot attacking and of, of these creatures just, you know, being like a grizzly bear. Um, Patrick Vaughn in the chat just said they really do try to live and let live if they can. And I believe that as well. I think if they're pushed to it. Now, who's to say there's not one lone wolf that... Well, we
1: have a few crazy humans. Exactly. That I wouldn't trust. And they may have some crazy ones too.
0: Exactly. But
1: in the normal range of things, they seem to uh, have only attacked people who are after them with guns or, you Mm -hmm. know, really being aggressive in some way. Um, they certainly could hit us with a rock and that's not what people experience
0: yeah yeah there are some bad accounts out there um there's a lot of bad fictional accounts that paint them in a bad light make them out to be monsters and all of that um but there's a lot of good ones too um i had asked you before what your thoughts were on the missing 411 or missing 411.
1: um you mean as far as the bigfoot being responsible for Mm -hmm. that i personally don't think that they are um, I would be more inclined to believe that evil aliens were doing that than I would think Bigfoot. Right. Um, I did go to a lecture with um, Polities and asked him that question. And he said people had said that he had said that and he has either changed his mind. But at the time I asked the question, he said he didn't, he didn't say that, or he didn't believe that.
0: He so didn't I, believe it was Bigfoot. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've heard that serial killers or um, stuff like that, that, that was more where he was trying to go with the book, you know, or mishaps. But um, the, the book, it almost paints it in one light, whereas the movie or the documentary paints it in a completely different light, you know. Not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's how it goes though. Um, okay, so we are at the halfway mark. I want to switch gears and go from the giants of the woods to the smaller creatures of myth that you um, have covered and you've authored a book on. And now I already told you like, you're going to be educating me on this. Um, I have questions, but just layman terms, Um, little people.
1: Cherokee little people. Cherokee little people. The book is Cherokee little people were real. I had no intention of writing the book. Uh, When I moved to North Carolina, I didn't even know about the Cherokee little people. Um, I thought it was uh, just a fairy tale that Indians told around the campfires. I mean, I just gave it no particular thought. And one day I got into a conversation with a man who um, was very well respected in this this area. Uh, He had been a pastor for over 40 years. He'd been a World War II hero. And he said, no, they were real. And he said, when he was a young man, um, right after World War II, he was involved in the construction of new buildings at Western Carolina University. And he said that when they would cut into what was supposed to be virgin soil, they would find these little tunnels that were square cut with a arch top, which makes it stronger. And they were all made in um, dense red clay, uh, about three, three and a half, no more than four feet tall. And they found these all over the campus when they were doing construction pro- projects. Mm-hmm. So I would never have gotten these stories if this man hadn't connected me with other old-timers because they're not going to just open up with somebody who thinks oh i'd like to do a story yeah so i spent a year um on saturdays interviewing the old-timers around their kitchen tables and um, when i found out that these stories had not been preserved anywhere i thought i have got to make this into a book Mm-mm. and at first i just did it like an academic paper with Uh, a transcript of what these people had said. Then I did more research and I did, um, I I went way beyond that and I I did photos and and found lots of other evidence for the little people. Um, The old timers were fascinating to me to hear their stories. Um, One of the old professors at the campus had a small skull on his uh, desk and he said it was from the Indian Mound and it was a child skull. And an English teacher from the high school picked it up one day and looked at it and said, this isn't a child skull, it has all its wisdom teeth. Um, Then uh, there were two, uh, supposedly there were two Indian mounds on the campus. Some of these old-timers had gone to school at a building on that campus when they were like in grade school and high school. And they said that the farmer uh, would plow around that mound, which they said was an Indian mound, but they said it had a vertical tubular hole in the center of it that was so big that he would put a number of very good-sized logs in it to keep the cows from falling. In. Mm-hmm. The old-timers, when they were doing the construction, as Ben found that many of these tunnels connected to that Indian mound. They said that was nothing but a pile of dirt for making the tunnels. So, uh, like I said, uh, that book. Uh, was done because I didn't want that information lost.
0: Right, absolutely. Um, so they're little people. They're, um, they're about z-
1: three, they're about three feet to three and a half feet tall. So they, some people think they fall into the the little fairy category, and they don't. They're mm-hmm. like little people.
0: Little people. So they're not dwarves or midgets. Oh, they're, they're not
1: in proportion. A dwarf is out of proportion. They are
0: right. In okay, and so they are. Pygmies, basically. Is that
1: right? Yeah, very seldom do people call them that, but uh, yeah, I guess they would fall into that category. Pygmies might be a little bit bigger.
0: Okay, Um, so that I know that there were archaeological reports of graves found with these beings in them. Is that right?
1: That was in Tennessee. They found a whole lot of graves, and uh, again, the size of the, the skeletons Fit right in with what I told you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were not just here in North Carolina, they were in Tennessee. They just seem to have been in these mountains. Um, I told you earlier that uh, I would have changed the name of the big of our website because it's grown beyond UFOs. Um, I would have changed the title on this book, too, because mm-hmm. that, um, you know, since I've done the book, I've had a couple things that indicate there are still a few of the little people still around. Okay. They're only in remote areas.
0: Right. <laughs> now, if you
1: like these stories, I could tell you another one.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: there's a, a young Indian woman, probably in her late 20s, if I remember correctly, and she never would have talked to me except I knew her friend, and her friend convinced her to talk to me. and. Uh, they lived, Her family lives lived on the reservation and they had a trailer that they kept in this remote area when they would have family picnics or gatherings
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they would use it for the restroom and also for cooking. So this uh, girl was telling me that when she was playing as a child, she went to hide in the shower uh, when they were playing hide and seek. When she pulled back the curtain, there was a little Cherokee man, a little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, grinning real big, and she said he looked like Mowgli from, uh, the, from the cartoon with mm-hmm. the butt hair like this. All right, from the Jungle Book. Yeah, but it still scared her to death. She went ran, running to her daddy right away. Oh, of course. And then I got contacted by uh, friends of mine who lived like two ridges over from me, and they had debated um, for a couple weeks before they told me. They had caught what they thought was a little person on their webcam or their game cam. And one of the one thought it was a ghost that had been picked up. One thought it was a little person. They couldn't decide. So they finally showed it to me. And what I did was I incre- I put it on my computer, increased the intensity. Anything that is alive will go into a magenta color. If it's a ghost, it'll stay white. And so I found an authenticated ghost picture where a ghost is crawling on its hands and knees and playing with a child, a, a living child. And when I turned up the color intensity on that one, the little child went to magenta, the ghost stayed white. Well, this little figure in the woods went magenta when we turned up the uh, intensity of the color. Mm-hmm. And the couple went out to measure where the person had come up on the, the tree in the woods. And it fell into that category again, about you know three, three and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. We concluded that we got a kind of a blurry but a, an image of a uh, a Bigfoot. Uh, not a Bigfoot, a little person. A little
0: person. Yeah. Um so I mean if if they were still around of course they would be elusive.
1: Um It would be easier for them to be elusive.
0: It would um you know, it's almost more believable that they would be around than a Bigfoot because uh the sheer size difference and it's easier to hide underground than in the forest. Um, So, you know, whenever we say little people, um, your version is the Cherokee little people, which is a species of uh, people that are just small um, native American looking people. So other people, when they say little people, they um, they're like mischievous. They're like the fae is what a lot of people think of them as.
1: Well, there's a little bit of that with it too. Some of the old time Indian uh, people, I don't think the newer ones do it so much. They would put food out for the little people. Mm -hmm. And if the food somehow didn't get put out there as expected, uh, they would have stones thrown on their roof. It was like a reminder. Hey, we're here. You know, we're here. Um, I've I've heard stories like that. The worst story I ever heard about a little person was when I went out to the... um, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation out in South Dakota. And they have little people and Bigfoot out there also. And um, this uh, woman, she was uh, probably again in her late twenties, about 30. And her um, grandfather was a medicine man or a shaman. Her brother, older brother was, and she seemed to be very, very intuitive. But anyhow, one day, she and some of her cousins took their grandmother out to the creek to go fishing. So they set the grandmother up in the tree or up in the chair and they went off to swim further down. And uh, they saw something bubble down into the um, water. And when they were getting out later, they saw little footprints going up from the creek. Uh, At a later date, um, I think it was her brother was there with some of his buddies and they discovered this little cave that was just off of this same creek. And they went in it and they found what you would call miniature uh, bows and arrows and quivers and a drum, I think. And mm-hmm. they took it and they took it back and they were showing their grandfather and the grandfather said, you need to take that back. Don't ever bother their stuff. For a couple of days, uh, people's chickens and stuff were being killed because oh, people no. were upset that their stuff had been bothered. Right even at that, I'm kind of sympathetic because they're not very big and how are they going to keep big people from staying away from them? So
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so that's the reaction to their place being invaded.
0: Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense for the most part to why all the, um, all the stories that you do hear about little people um, biting, uh, that they'll bite your toes off or that you know, they'll, uh, they'll break in, and um, I've just I've heard a couple stories of of uh the people waking up, and they just have little bite marks all over them, or something like that. But usually, um, there's construction going on around, or the land is being demolished, or a house was built right there. You know, it, I don't know, I don't I mean, know.
1: But the last, I, the worst story I've ever heard is they killed some chickens. So okay. go
0: <laughs> There you go. Um, so. Something you said, I'm going to quote you, okay. um, because, you know, we have found fields of bones of these of of small little creatures like this, and they were not children's bones. And at the same time that these fields of bones were found for these little beings, it was this, around the same time as we were finding the giant's bones. Both of these things ended up going to the Smithsonian.
1: I know, things disappear forever in the Smithsonian. In fact, the collection at the university, which they didn't put on public display, but they had a forensic um, storage area. And I learned about it through some of the uh, students who had graduated from the anthropology department. And they said there was two giant skeletons in that forensic storage area. They had six toes.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: That's also where they had the little um, skeleton, the little, um, little person skeleton. And one of the students told me when I happened to meet her at a coffee shop, I just ran into her and we started a conversation and she said they had shipped all that to, to the Smithsonian. I thought, Oh my God, we'll never see that stuff again. No,
0: That's just I, so sad. I
1: don't know why they have to be that way. It, no. uh, that's one thing about academia uh, uh, that I was very disappointed with. You would think that a university would be so open-minded and mm-hmm. would want to learn as much as they could about anything and they seemed at least here they were more concerned with not stopping the projects that they wanted to build new buildings and they didn't want to slow it down. Right. Um, uh, one man contacted me and he graduated a number of years before and he said he and his buddies who went to Western were down by the river. and the head of security came by and he was carrying a box that was a little bit bigger than a shoebox and got into a conversation with him and the security guard was very open. He said this was one of the little uh, skeletons they found when they were building such and such a building and he was going to um, rebury it along an ATV trail. And um,
0: That's so frustrating.
1: It's, it's very frustrating and Um, There are still behind a really heavy support wall. There are at least three of these little people tunnels that still exist. Mm -hmm. If they had put in like a glass viewing screen where you could still see the tunnels, they could have used that as the basis for starting up a really good archaeology department. Absolutely. That's the first thing that came to my mind. But no, all they could think about was building more buildings. So I've been disappointed with them. the Smithsonian and universities.
0: Yes. What you said, and I'll quote you, is that archaeologists or academia academics, they do not want to accept anything beyond the absolute. Did I really say all these you things? You said that, yes.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> Are you impressed with yourself? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm surprised I said those things.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, well, I I was I wrote it down because it just it resonated with me. Um, in what I do with Bigfoot research. And uh, so I wrote that one down, that meant a lot to me. Um, Okay, so I have, I I just wanted to go over the Cherokee aspect of the title and then we'll go to the questions from the chat. Um, So the Cherokee called them the moon people. And can you tell me why?
1: In the beginning they did. And the Cherokee people did not originate here in the mountains. They were up in the area of the Great Lakes. They migrated to this area when they first arrived, they would find these little gardens, but they didn't see any people around. And then I guess eventually at night, they saw these little people coming out from underground to take care of their gardens and take the vegetables back underground. And they called them the moon people because they came out at night. Mm -hmm. So that was the first name that I was aware of.
0: That might also be why they're so elusive. If they're nocturnal and live underground, I mean, how many people are, you know walking around at middle of the night you know. Um, right. I just think to all the times that I have fallen in holes or about broken ankle walking through the woods and in, in a burrow hole and I attributed it to, to some animal or giant snake that wanted to eat me or something. <laughs> and maybe it was something quite different who knows. I know okay so we're gonna get to the questions real quick. Okay. Um. Okay, hold on, let me make sure I don't miss anything. Okay, so have there ever been any sightings of little people under a foot tall or sightings at all in recent times?
1: I can only speak from what I know here in this part of the country and I do not know of any stories like that. Personally, I only know about the three foot ones.
0: Okay. Uh, Weird Realities asked, Mary, are the Cherokee little people the same as the moon eyed people in Georgia?
1: I wonder if that goes back to the idea of the moon people because they come out at night. Um, the little people have normal size eyes. So they. I don't know. Um, I know that um, the old ti- one of the old timers, maybe two of them, said that there were different kinds of little people in this area. Uh, The ones that we've been talking about that look like Cherokee. Uh, There was another kind that um, uh, probably looked more like a leprechaun that had the red beard and the whiskers. And the Cherokee didn't like them and they would try to kill them. And um, it's possible that uh, that might be true because some of the uh, old timers who had been moonshiners had uh, built a still back in the prohibition days way off. The beaten track um, mm-hmm. uh, on a mountain, and they they came across what they called a pile of little people bones. They covered it up real quickly because they didn't want anybody to discover their still. Oh yeah. And I did have a, a an old man. He was um, oh close to ninety who took me back in the area where the still was. I was hoping that maybe we could track some of this down. He had lost his center, uh, his uh, central vision. He could only see out of the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a wonderful romp through the woods, but no, we didn't find anything. Hmm.
0: hmm. I, well, I know that feeling. Let me tell you. Um, okay. Beaver Hook Productions has some questions and I'm pretty sure he asked all of these just because he knows I can't pronounce half of it. So he said, I'm not sure if Mary is familiar with the Minahoon of Hawaii. Oh, yes,
1: that's Hawaii. The Minahuni.
0: Okay. Good to know. Um, but from how she talks about these more Native American style little people, how could they be similar or different?
1: I haven't done a lot of research. Uh, there's a story that I've never been able to to tell, and I can only touch on it now. Um, there was a, a woman who came into where I worked, and she said her granddaughter was a little person. I'm going, all right. You know, this, that didn't sound quite right to me, but. Her mother was Cherokee, and her father was Hawaiian, and they were guessing that maybe this was a recessive gene because this child had turned out to be like uh, one of the the little people of either one of those cultures. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: They never confessed this to their doctor, but the the child always had um, um, different kinds of health problems that weren't like anybody else's. And of course, they wouldn't tell them, the doctor, that uh, this child might be totally different. She could not um, stand the the sunlight, so she wore sunglasses all the time.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, So if, indeed, they're used to living underground, maybe the sun is hard on their eyes. Right. Would always always be wearing sunglasses. And uh, uh, she had the shape of a um, Cherokee uh, woman, but again, she was the size of a child.
0: That is fascinating.
1: I wish I could really write the whole story up. I just, right. the family wants the privacy. So mm-hmm. I've said about as much as I can say.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And that is, that is fascinating to me. That would that...
1: have been said to anybody's radio show. I don't know why I said it now,
0: but. Hey, I appreciate well, it.
1: it
0: <laughs> Sneak peek right here, exclusive. Um, so he said, or do you think that these little people could be similar to the, Logan, really? To the tokolashi?
1: Now that one, he you, you stumped me on that one. I don't know who that is.
0: And be some sort of paranormal phenomenon that was man-made. Hold on just a second. No, the last and I one, can, no, let me pop it I up on that, the screen.
1: What I have seen, no, that wouldn't be the case. Okay. No, I've never even seen that word before. Okay. But I do not think they're paranormal.
0: Okay. All right. So you don't think that they are any kind of mystical... Anything like that?
1: No, these are real flesh and, uh, you know, they, they leave footprints. They, uh, they're real living, breathing creatures.
0: Okay. Um, Patrick Vaughn had a really great question. Um, What physical attributes did the little people have? Were they hairy, non-hairy other than looking like Cherokee? um, You know,
1: they were, they would the uh, American Indians aren't very hairy. These aren't hairy but they do have the dark hair in this kind of cut.
0: Okay. All right. Um, hold on. Let me make sure. So weird reality. She has a good point. It sounds to her like these little people are similar to what are referred to as elves in Iceland. Um, and they, in Iceland, they don't do anything to upset the elves. Um, do you think that, some of the stories we have like that of the fae might have actually come from those who did interact with the little people way back when?
1: I, I do not know. And if, and I'm not, I've am not. i never done any research on Iceland. I, I don't know what, what their little creatures look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten uh, reports from people about fairies and, th- you know, very small creatures. Um, I haven't done a story on that simply because I can't get enough concrete stuff to put it out there where, you know, somebody's really going to at least consider it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I'm not an expert on that at all.
0: Right. Um, that's another point that Patrick, I was thinking that same thing. Um, why don't we find any tracks, <laughs> you know, like
1: so I, I can give you a good reason. Um, there was another place uh, in uh, Eastern Tennessee where there are still little people living on the land. And I was there in the summertime. It was kind of dry and They don't weigh very much. So if you don't have mud, if you don't have something really soft, they barely leave a footprint. And we did see some that were very faint that was um, kind of in like um, sand like gravel type, but they were really faint. If you hadn't had other reasons to believe that they'd been there, you wouldn't have paid any attention to them. Uh, the Bigfoot leave great footprints because they have a lot of weight to pound it down. And we've, mm-hmm. gotten, you know, uh, we've gotten a lot of footprints. And I do want to say that like one of the stories I have in the book, or is it on the website? It's one of the two. And there is a cave that's way, way up high. And you would have to have my mountain gear to get up there. Mm-hmm. And the Bigfoot live in the cave up there. And then they come down through the trees. They cross this gravel road and they go down to where there's an apple tree and where there's a pond. We've got many footprints along there. So that's kind of evidence that your hard-nosed people might appreciate because there's the cave, there's the footprints, mm-hmm. there's the apple tree. We all know they love apples. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did have one lady um, coming home late at night on this gravel road, and she saw this, you know, seven 800-pound creature go across the road right where we always find the footprints. Oh, so wow. there is that kind of evidence um, that... The hard-nosed people would have to appreciate.
0: Right. Um, I know going back to the Bigfoot again, I know that um, you had mentioned that uh, Robin, uh, when she went to Russia, she actually worked with Igor Burtsev. And um, I know a lot of people respect him and respect his works. And so she actually was uh, brought over by him. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: And so they went over there or she went over there and they um, there was a contest. And uh, this- a bunch
1: of Irishman and I can't remember the name of the group, but they made a bet that they would pay such and such on the pound uh, to anybody who could find proof of the Yeti or of the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And so um, Igor decided he'd take him up on it. They had a number of media people there, researchers, and he invited um, Robin to be there. And they found, you know, very convincing evidence. But that started with a bunch of Irishmen wanting to have a bet. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. But it ended up producing evidence and photos. Um, So Igor, he probably put that in his book. I'm not sure I haven't read that.
1: And I have have that whole um, cave story in my book. Okay. Including pictures. I've got a picture of Igor in the nest. Um, The cave had like other caves off from it or Mm -hmm. And one was a birthing uh, cave where the uh, females would go to give birth, and uh, so there's a picture of him in the birthing nest. I'm
0: not sure you could pay me to get in that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just <laughs> no. Um. Well,
1: I share that. I'm, I'm not terrible. I'm not all that brave. One of the guys who lives, who's lived here in the mountains forever, took me to. Uh, I've seen uh, three of the caves on his land where the Bigfoot hang out and we went up to the top of this ridge gravel road single lane and then we had to walk um, about a half mile into the woods he had a machete so that he would cut a path so we could get there and uh, when we first started walking into the woods we heard this bird sound that sounded too big and too different to be a bird Mm -hmm. and then off in the direction that we were going there was an answer with the same kind of sound and then everything went silent And we concluded that uh, one Bigfoot was warning the other ones out ahead that uh, stupid humans were on the way. We also found uh, two foot, giant footprints in the same area. Again, giving proof to what we were hearing and what we Mm -hmm. were seeing was real. And the biggest cave was eight feet across and five feet high. I have a picture of it in the book. I was, I could not see to the back of it and was not brave enough to go in there. So how's that for a chicken researcher?
0: i can't say that i would walk into a dark cave um there's there's something to be said for some kind of self-preservation i mean you know (laughs) uh i mean um,
1: charging right in you know
0: i mean um i always tell myself i will but in the heat of the moment it just i think it just depends it it depends um a deep dark cave Mm -mm. (laughs) no because mostly where caves are there are bears or big cats and i have an aversion to being taken out by a bear or big cat call me weird but a bigfoot um you guys better look around for my hands or something because i'm going out with some dna in my little fingers before we before we uh if we have to tussle me in the bigfoot
1: <laughs> but um, if you want proof i've learned this the hard way it costs some money um if you want proof that you've got a bigfoot you have to get some you have to get something that has the um, um, what do you call it the nuclear dna because mm-hmm. the father side of the maternal uh, paternal side is in the nuclear dna okay. it's easy to get like a hair strand that strand of hair will have the maternal in it you have to have that little thing at the root of it mm-hmm. to get the nuclear if you without that you can't prove it's a
0: bigfoot Okay. So I need to pluck his eyebrows is what you're telling me
1: and keep the root. You need the whole thing. All
0: right. I'll keep that in mind. I will add tweezers to my Bigfoot researcher field kit. (laughs) Um, okay. I have one last question for you and I thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, back to the little people, what do you think happened to them?
1: I sometimes wonder if they had trouble, uh, surviving, um, because of health reasons, I'm basing it on that story I told you about the little girl because she died at a very young age. Mm -hmm. I think she was was still in her teens when she died and they never could figure out why. And so I think there's some weakness perhaps that they can't deal with our germs. Uh, She, before we had homeschooling like we do this year or last year, um, she would have to be homeschooled most of the time because she would get everything that the the kids had. That's one possible answer. I don't know. I really do not know. That's my only working theory.
0: Um, I mean, when I just think about it, a disease is, is, uh, uh, you know, a good way to go because when white man brought the disease over, you know, it killed a lot of the Native Americans. Um, But also to me, just development, loss of land, loss of habitat.
1: Right. And and I think part of the reason that uh, the Bigfoot, really hang out low in this area is because it's populated very much out in, um, the West. Um, the Bigfoot are more free to roam and Mm -hmm. they're, but these are the ones here. My God, their territory has just been destroyed.
0: Yeah. I think that's, um, I think that's why there might be more sightings now. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides the fact that people know how to look for them now, know to look for them that they might actually be real, thanks to finding Bigfoot in shows like that. Um, I think that loss of habitat, there's just less places for them to go, and then also, you know, the missing 411. If it if it did happen to be Bigfoot, or if there were more aggressive account encounters, well, there's just not a lot. There's less places for them to go, and there's more opportunity for humans to stumble upon their family or their Taking away from their uh, food source, you know, that that would probably piss me off. I'm not going to lie. If somebody tries to come in and take my Oreos, I'm going to get very upset with them. Um, now, do you live in Southern Arkansas? Is that what I've heard you say? Um, I live in Oklahoma.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. And, okay. A lot of Cherokees out there, too. Supposedly, some of the little people went with the Cherokee out there.
0: Really? On the Trail of oh, Tears? Right. Or Okay.
1: So if you exactly. might do some research there, um, there's little people out in South Dakota There might very well still be little people mm-hmm. close to where you live.
0: It's interesting, definitely uh, worth looking into. Um, all right, well, I uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. You are a very fascinating and diverse person. I have enjoyed this interview so much.
1: And your new technology worked.
0: It worked. It worked. So I thank you for being my guinea pig tonight. (laughs) uh,
1: I appreciate it. And best of luck with everything you do. If you, I'll have to do a story on you sometime.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I'm down. I'm, I'm definitely up for that. Um, You guys go check out Mary's website and she has uh i'm not kidding you guys she has archives of articles on her website that you guys can go look into more of what we talked about tonight but also more on ancient civilizations Um, i listened to another show that mary did on that and it is really fascinating. She, like she said, she has the pictures and everything to, for you to look at, um, to compare. And, um, there was one that she was doing that you can actually see from Google Earth, um, through the Google Earth website. So, encouraging
1: everybody to use Google Earth as a detective tool. It yeah. is amazing what you can find. Absolutely yes. amazing.
0: And I thought know, that was fascinating.
1: I've done a couple shows lately about the discoveries along the California Western coast, uh, the uh, underseas ruins of ancient, yes. ancient civilizations. Yeah. And they're, it's really quite fascinating. So yes. I encourage everybody to uh, become a detective.
0: Absolutely. You guys go check it out. You think because you... Um... We're Americans, most of us are Americans in the United States and you know this is our land and we know everything about it, but we really don't. There's so much that we don't know and there's so much that was here before us. Um, and there's so much that is living on this land with us that we still don't know about. Mm-hmm. So you guys-
1: That book title again, it's uh, Bigfoot Beyond the Footprints. And the other one is uh, Cherokee Little People Were Real. Uh, there's a summary of, not a summary, there's a little description of each one and a picture of the cover under editor's corner uh, at com, and they're all on Amazon. And that's the end of my plug.
0: I appreciate it. That everything that she just said is also in the description below. So you guys go click, go check out her stuff. Um, like she said, she illustrates it for all of us that have very short attention spans. Um, there's lots of pretty pictures for you guys to look at on the website and everything. And um, so, Thank you so much again, Mary, for coming on. Thank and you. I wish you the best on, on your future projects.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All <laughs> the best for you. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Good night. Good
1: night, Mary.
0: Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I really appreciate your support um, and your grace as we covered a topic that I don't normally cover on my show. So um, I'm, you know, I, I just, I love to find both sides of the topic, both sides of the stories, you know. So, um, drop a comment below. Let me know what you thought about the show. Let me know who you would like to have see me have on my show in the future. And like I said before, if you'll just you know hit the thumbs up on whatever your whatever app you're using to listen to the show on, leave a five star review. If you're listening to a podcast, that helps me more than you'll ever know. And like, and subscribe, bring that notification bell, you guys. Um, if you were in the live chat tonight, go over to the Facebook group. It's an extension of the live chat here. And you can post pictures, articles. You can have discussions over there. Um, we keep it clean. We keep it friendly. And I mean, that's all I got, guys. Be safe. Um, be kind. Stay open-minded. And I will see y'all next time.